you got your Bibles, and certainly hope you do, turn to Isaiah. We're in the 38th chapter. Uh, starting next week, we'll do uh, start a Christmas series on uh, four weeks talking about prophecy and, and, and the prophecy of, of Christmas, what was prophesied to happen, why it happened, how it happened. So please join us for that. And we will have a Christmas Eve service where it's called uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas in Bethlehem. And so I will be doing, a, like I done, did a few years ago, I'll do a little skit that I wrote that talks about that. So please join us that night at 7 o'clock. And yes, we will be having church on Christmas Day. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but it used to be the church always had church on Christmas Day. So no matter what day it was, but we're going to have church on Christmas Day. So please join us for that also. You know, there's one thing that all of us are probably going to experience. Um, I've experienced it six times in my life, at least half of it. Many of us have already faced it. No matter who we are, when we were born, where we were born, what our profession is, or if we have family or not, each of us one day are going to face the time where we are laid in bed in pain, waiting for our lives to end. Or we will be sitting at the bedside of someone we care very deeply for who will also be going through that same experience for the final time in their life. It's kind of interesting. I did not know what Pete was going to say. He came up this morning and said, I have something to share. So it's kind of interesting how God works. And as we go through that time, Many times our faith is assaulted by the evil one. He'll he'll take any advantage he can to discourage us. He'll attempt to to take advantage of the moment and and we face it. He'll try to convince us that God no no longer loves us. I mean, why would God answer your prayer? When we pray for healing, when we pray for peace, why would God answer your prayer? I mean, this is what he tells us when he tries to get to convince us of. God won't hear you. He's a big guy. He's he's got a lot to do out there. There are people who are worse off than you. Lies, all of them. But today I want to give you strength for the battle that's ahead of us. Because we're going to be fighting this war, not just at that moment, but throughout our whole lives, we're going to be fighting a battle against the evil one. And we've been fighting this war since we first believed in Christ. And trusted him. Now, many people think the church is like this. They look at it as a hospital. This is where we can come and we can get our wounds mended and and make us feel better. But I want to be honest with you. This is what I think the church is. The church is an armory. The church is a place where we can come And we can learn how to use the spiritual weapons that God has created for us. Where we can come and get fully armored up, ready to go out and fight the battle again. You know, when Jesus was talking to Peter, he he told him, you know, uh, upon this rock, meaning upon what, what Peter said about him, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell hell shall not prevail against us. 
This is not, this is, the word prevail is not a term that's used like we're in the defensive, that we're, we're circling the wagons around the church. No, it is an action attack word. We are to be out there actively fighting the battle, pushing back the darkness, pushing back the enemy. Shame on us if we don't. We have to. And we need to get suited up. We need to have the full armor of God on us in order to do this. We need to be ready for the fight of our life. In our verses today, we're, we're going to experience what mighty King Hezekiah, who has been extremely faithful to Yahweh. And he humbles himself in prayer when the enemy is circling Jerusalem. And it was because of that prayer, because it, it helped God, to, it, it, God was waiting for that, he acted on it because of that prayer. But he will be brought low to a point where he's laying in his bed, he faces the wall, and he cries. I don't like crying. I almost did during the last song. But I know sometimes we get to that point where that's all we can do. Hezekiah's experience, the devastation of disease. We'll find out later what it was. And it's destroying his body. But the great thing about this verse is we also get to experience the amazing power of Yahweh, of God the Father, over sickness and disease. You know, many times when we when we're at somebody's bedside who is dying or when we are there ourselves, we <coughs> find ourselves sometimes asking this question. I got to get my water. We find ourselves asking the question, what is God's purpose in what I'm experiencing? Whether we are the one in the bed or we're the one who's at the side of a loved one who's suffering and dying. What is God's purpose in this? What's his purpose in our pain and our suffering? I wonder at times, why do I have a back problem? Why do I hurt all the time with my back? Why does God allow it? Why does, why does sometimes, why is it God who brings it on? It's not always God who causes it to happen. Now, he allows it to happen. But there are times when God actually brings it on. Is Yahweh powerful enough to heal us? We ask that question. And if so, why doesn't he do it every time? There are people out there, there are pastors out there who will preach that it's God's will that everyone gets healed. And I'm like, really? So why did Timothy have to drink wine because of his stomach? Why did Paul have a thorn in the side? And why is the preacher who's saying that wearing glasses? Sometimes healing will not come. But God has a purpose in it. We ask those questions. Now, you notice, uh, there's one question I did not ask. I did not ask why we have pain and suffering. I ask. What is God's purpose in it? We, we know why we have pain and suffering. Obviously. Why we experience it? Because we experience because of Adam's sin. Scripturally, we, we have all sinned. And because of Adam and what choice he made, that one choice he made, 
to not be a spiritual leader in his home or his with his family and to, and to say, no, Eve, you shouldn't have done that. That's all he had to say. Because of that, we all die. Our bodies are slowly dying. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, he says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, sorry, there is no reincarnation, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Do you see the beauty of that? those verses? I could have just read verse 27. It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But isn't it great that we get the good news after that? Because Christ, so Christ, Christ is coming back, but not to deal with sin, but to be with us who are eagerly waiting for him. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And for as in Adam all die. We all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Pain, sickness, suffering, and ultimately death are all part of the Adamic curse. It's that curse we all bear by being human because of Adam. So in Isaiah 38, we come face to face with the problem of pain, suffering, and death. We know that our world is full of it. We look around. We cannot deny that this world is full of pain and suffering. We know, even if you didn't see it, you know from the drug trade, the amount of money that's spent on ways to keep us, to make us, help us forget about the pain and the suffering that we have. It is amazing the amount of money that is spent in drugs, alcohol, other addictions that, that we use to, to cover the pain and to try to look past it. But the problem is, is once those things are gone, we still have the same problem because we haven't dealt with it. We experience it every day, and as I get older and older, I experience it more and more in my body. I'm talking to Ed this morning. You know, our bodies just don't, they don't heal like they used to. Our muscles hurt. I used to be able to work all day and be fine. Now, a couple hours, if I don't dare stop, because if I stop, I'm never getting back up again. i got to keep moving. Pain, suffering, and death will be experienced by all of us, from the king to the peasant. There was an article in 2016 that appeared in the Washington Post. It stated that at that time, they knew of 10,000 diseases that humans can contract. But there were just 500 cures and treatments. 10,000 diseases, 500 cures and treatments. That means there's 9,500 diseases that there are no cure for and no treatment for. I'm not going to go through what they could have done. <laughs> treatments we do have, they just, they just ignore. But there are treatments we could do. But officially, there's only 500. And by now, I'm sure that both of those numbers are even increased because we continue to discover new things that help us in our and get new th- ways of taking care of ourselves in, during times of disease. And there are, but there are even more diseases happening. But they are no way near equal. And as I said before, the world is trying to kill us. And while the officials, what they want to do is they want to catalog each disease, 
because they want to be able to cure every single one of them. Our pharmaceutical industry today wants to have a pill for everything that you have a problem with. You have a problem with depression? Here's a pill. You have a problem with hair loss? Here's a pill. Of course, it makes you grow a third arm, but, you know, hey, that could be a good thing. They want to cure everything. But see, the reality is there's only one cure for all of it, and that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus alone can heal us from all the diseases in the world, and he will either do that on this side of death or he'll do that on the other side. So let's look at Hezekiah's situation in this time that we all are going to face. Isaiah 38, verses 1 to 3. It says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord. There's that term again. I told you last, last week or the week before. You know, Be careful. Don't say that unless God has really said it. That means God has actually said this. Set your house in order. For you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I want to pray for a second here. Father, we, we praise you for this word. Lord, we're going to learn that uh, while turning to you is what we need to do in our time of pain and suffering and death, we must be careful, Lord, that we're doing it with the right foundation, asking with the right motive. Help us to do that, Father. Amen. Hezekiah's condition is extremely serious. He's in bed. He's going to die. He's at the point of death, in fact. And then along comes Isaiah to give him the most cheerful news, right, that you could get. Now remember what I said last week was that when a prophet, normally the, the, the kings would send for the prophet to bring them a word of the Lord. They're inquiring of God. And usually if the prophet comes to you, that's not always a good thing. When David was in the throne room, And Nathan came to him and said, I need to tell you a story about a man who had a lamb. David did not get good news because he found out that he was the one who had killed the lamb, had stolen the lamb from his neighbor. It's not good news. God is sending the prophet to chastise or to warn. Hezekiah is going to die. Recovery is not an option. So it's time for Hezekiah to meet his maker, to set his house in order. This phrase is for a king would mean that he would have to find, he would have to determine who was going to be his successor. It wasn't always the oldest. By the way, Solomon was not the oldest. It wasn't always the oldest. But he would have to make sure that that was all set up, that he was that, that son was protected, because chances are that somebody would be trying to kill the son to take the throne. For us, 
it's a little different. If we're to set our, our, our house in order, we need to make sure, first of all, that there is no unconfessed sin between us and God. Extremely, that's the number one important thing to do. Then we must also make sure that there is no issues between us and somebody else. Does, do we need to forgive someone or does someone need to forgive us? We need to reconcile that. We need to take care of all the unfinished business in our lives. Are there promises that we broke that we need to change, we need to fix? See, one of, the, one of the works of our lives, one of the things we're supposed to do in our life is to bring order out of chaos. If you've been in a house with children, you know what chaos looks like. Our job is to bring order to that, at least somewhat of kind of organized chaos. Time is short. So whatever we must do to put things in order must be done quickly. We must be ready to die. Now, being ready to die will not make it happen any sooner. But it is much easier. And if we are ready to die, we are also ready to live. But see, Hezekiah, he doesn't resolve himself to what God has told him. He doesn't accept it. In fact, if we look at verses 2 and 3 again, it says, And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, which is good. He should have done that. And he said, Please, Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah reacts to the words of God with a deep sorrow and misery. And yes, that's, that's good. It forces him to go to prayer. But the thing about it is, when you think about this, doesn't Hezekiah know the joy that comes when a believer dies? A joy that comes for them. They have crossed over. They are now with Jesus. No more pain. No more suffering. Doesn't he know that? Of course he does. But like most of us, he doesn't want to die. I don't want to die. He wants to live. So he turns and prays and struggles with that door that's before him. He, it's open, but he doesn't want to go through it. But praying is the best thing that he could do. Now, I want to look at his prayer for a second. This prayer is extremely shallow. Hezekiah wants God to remember all the things that the king did for him. It's as though in his weakness, Hezekiah is, is he's, he's, he's basing his standing with God upon what he has done. He has now made his faith based upon his works. Don't, look what I've done for you, Lord. Why, why is this happening to me? Look at all the great things I've done for you. Now, we know Hezekiah was a good king. We can see back in 2 Kings, it says about him, 2 Kings 18, it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, which is not common amongst the kings of Israel. According to all that David his father had done, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made because they had begun to worship it. 
He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandment that the Lord commanded Moses. Isn't that admirable? Isn't that awesome? He did. He was the perfect king. He was the perfect follower of God. But that's still insufficient as a basis for his standing with Yahweh. See, Hezekiah, he's struggling with this idea that our full devotion to God is shown by our relationship with him, not by what we do, but it's about who he is in our life. There are people who walk around and say, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I always tell them, yeah, so do the demons. And they shudder. What does that mean? Well, that means that unless you're living your life, unless God is changing your heart and you're pursuing God's mission and God's will in your life, you're not a believer in Christ. If that's not your goal, you've got to question your original salvation, which is why Paul tells us, work out your faith with fear and trembling. You better make sure that it is sure. You can't base it upon what you do. You've got to base it upon who Christ is for you and to you in your life. What we have here is we have a pity party going on. Oh, could you do this to me, God? I've done all these things for you. But see, we know, later we know Jesus tells us people like this. He says in Matthew 7, he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do so many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's not about what you do. Now, understand, if, when you become a true believer, yes, if you're a true believer in Christ, you're going to desire to do all the good things. It's, it's putting, when, you, when you look at it from their perspective, they're putting the cart before the horse. We believe in Christ. It changes our life. We want to do good things. We want to do good works. But it's not the good works that save us. They're a result of our faith in Christ. And as we are facing the same moment of Hezekiah or sitting in the bedside of someone who is, we need to have the attitude that Paul had. Paul had this attitude. It was in Philippians that he wrote this. Philippians 1, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. He says, I, there's, I have nothing, I've done nothing to make God ashamed of me. And for me, be ashamed of what I've done for God. But with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, if I am to live, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, I can't choose whether I'm going to die or whether I'm going to live. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. And we all felt that at one time. Oh man, I'm so tired of this life. I want to be with Christ. But. That's better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, this is where we need to be in our lives. We need to be eager to keep on living so that we can serve God by serving others. 
We need to be eager for that. We need to desire that. But we, may, we need to also be eager to die when the time comes. Because at that point in time, our work is done and we're with Christ. And that is much better. It's a healthy place to be. It's a healthy perspective to have on life and death. We are torn between two possibilities. And guess what? Both of those possibilities bring glory to God. Now, Hezekiah is going to get an answer from God. God answers Hezekiah's prayer. And here's what he says in verse, in verse 4 of chapter 38. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says, says the Lord. Again, that phrase. The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. God hears his prayer. He sees his tears, and he knows. Hezekiah is not thinking straight, but I'm going I'm to do this for him. And it's perfectly within God's will. It's his prerogative. God does what he does, and he does just it. He's going to add 15 years to Hezekiah's life. He's going to deliver Jerusalem from the Assyrians. And he's going to give him a sign. He's going to make the sundial go back. The shadow on the sundial go back ten steps. Now, I want you to understand something in the wording, the Hebrew wording of this. That, that doesn't necessarily, some people who deal with prophecy get concerned about this because doesn't that kind of screw up our, our time? And No, because there's nothing in that doesn't say that God could have taken it back to where it originally was. He took it ten back ten steps and he brought it back to where it was ten steps. See, God is, God can do anything. He can do anything. And whether he did or didn't doesn't change the point that God is in control of all things and he is all-powerful. Now you may be wondering, what about his prayer? Did Hezekiah's prayer change God's mind? I mean, God did say... It was Hezekiah's time to die. You're going to die. You're not going to recover. Is God's plans for us contingent on our approval, our prayers, or our faith, or our lack of faith? You must understand that Yahweh, God, knows everything. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient, what that is. All-knowing. Everything that happens has been ordained by God. Nothing happens that he doesn't know about first. If it occurred, it first occurred to God. He knows what will and what will not happen. Ask me sometime about how I know he knows what will not happen, because it's in Scripture. But sometimes he doesn't always reveal to us the whole truth. It's not that God lies. God does not lie. 
It's just the things he says don't always make sense to our human minds because God is much greater than we are. And he doesn't always reveal every single bit of detail to us. So I always like, and I've said this before, I always like the Bible basic instructions before leaving earth. It's basic. It's not going to tell you everything you need to know. Sometimes people try to make it do that. It doesn't. It tells you what you need to know to survive this world and to go into the next. Everything God says is true, but not always complete. He told Hezekiah that his death was at hand, but it could have been that Yahweh had to, was telling the king this in order to prompt him to pray. Look at his prayer. And that's one reason why I say this. I look at his prayer. Hezekiah was a very good king and very, very, you know, he was devoted to God. But doesn't his prayer seem like he's a little prideful? Maybe this is God's way of causing him to look at his pride. Because we don't, we don't get the details of after he prayed and he's weeping that he realizes, why did I pray that? We don't get all the details. It could be that God is, is putting him at this point of death to show him, listen, you're getting prideful. I'm going to show you that I'm God. You're not. And we'll, we'll see in January when we get back into Isaiah that, that's probably what happened because he gets prideful again. It's a common human condition. But we know that God did not change his mind because God doesn't change. He didn't learn something new in Hezekiah's prayer because God knows everything. He knows our thoughts before we have them. God's ways are not our ways. And his motivations and his actions are way beyond anything we can fully understand. One day we will. When we're standing together with him, we'll fully understand everything. It'll be, we'll understand it all. But for now, we have to just accept it and trust. That's what faith is. But we do know one thing. Hezekiah is healed. God is Lord of all, whether it be humans, creation, diseases, Nothing happens outside of his purview. We experienced the last two years, not because he caused it, but because he allowed it to happen. The question is, what's his purpose in it? And that's what we have to look for. Now, I want us to understand that God can still heal, but there is no guarantee that he will. So we must pray for healing. We must pray for healing, but there's no guarantee that we, he will. What we need to pray is pray for healing and pray that God will be glorified in that healing or God will be glorified in that death, one or the other. Whether God does or not, we are to praise him. Now, I don't have time to dig deeply into Hezekiah's praise, but I do want to read it to you. This is verse 9 through 20. This is a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and he had recovered from his sickness. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol, which was the place of the dead, for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the earth. I'm not going to see any humans living and God in this life anymore. 
I'm going to be seeing spirits. I'm going to be in the land of the dead. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Haven't we all been there before? It just seems like there's no hope. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking around or looking upward. Oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge in safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. He realizes there's bitterness in here. Oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. There's the reason for it. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. Again, the purpose behind it. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Hmm. There's the forgiveness of sins. God remembers them no more. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you. As I do this day, the Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on the stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. I will praise you in all things. Do you see the humbleness in his words? you see the repentance in his words? Lord, I know why I had bitterness. I had bitterness so that I could turn from it. And because of that, because of what you've done, because you have done this, Lord, I can praise you. Being humbled is a process. Hezekiah's sickness and pain humbled him. It brings him to that point where God's going to get the glory. And if we finish out in verse 21 and 22, we see what the sickness was. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. He had a boil on his skin, and that's what was killing him. It was a disease, and it was killing him. And it took figs, was all it took, to heal it. And Hezekiah also had said, What is a sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So what can we take away from this? Understand, we must always come humbly to the foot of the cross at all times. Pain and suffering is in our lives to drive us to our knees and to drive us to the cross. Pain tells us something's wrong. When my, when my back hurts, it's telling me, hey, you better slow down. You better watch what you're doing. You know? You slept wrong. You better do something about that. Pain and suffering tells us there's something wrong. You need to go to the cross and you need to go to your knees and you need to be praying. So pain and suffering is in reality a blessing from God. And what is wrong? Well, what's wrong is that we're not in heaven yet. That's what's wrong. And God wants us to be in heaven with him. So what does he do? He sent his son to take 
our sin for us so that we could be with him. Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be ultimately healed from this world. So while you can, put your lives in order. Don't wait until the moments that you're about to die to set things right. If you have unconfessed sin, confess that to God. If you have relationships that are hurt, you better start mending them. Even if you're not to blame, you need to deal with it. It's time. Because remember what I said, if you're ready to die, you're ready to live. Begin doing this by fleeing to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in Christ during your illness and even more so during the illness of your loved ones. Trust Him. Don't focus on the disease. In reality, it doesn't matter what it is. Christ has them all covered. Pray for healing. Pray for it. Ask for it. Beg God for it. If it's, it is God's desire, if it's God's desire for we to be healed, we're going to be healed. We'll either be healed on this side of the grave or the next. Embrace the doctrine of bodily resurrection from the dead. See, as Paul says, we don't, we don't mourn like the rest of them of the world mourns, those that don't believe. Why? Because we know our bodies will be resurrected. We will have new bodies one day. Nothing. We, we, don't, we don't need to mourn. We mourn because we miss the person. I still mourn for my father. I still mourn for my mother-in-law. I mourn for Brian. I've been mourning a lot recently because it's holiday. There's nothing wrong with mourning like that, but the beauty of it is I mourn for Matt. Oh, my. I got four people that I mourn for constantly. But you know what the beauty of it is? I don't mourn, and it's not debilitating. If anything, it draws me closer to God because I can say, they're with you, and they're waiting. And I'm looking forward to the time when I can be with them. There's no avoiding death. But that death is a moment compared to eternity that we're going to spend with Christ in our glorified bodies. See, right now, you and I, our bodies are sown in weakness. Oh, man, my body is weak now. My brain doesn't think so, but my body is weak. But one day, we're going to be raised in power. All that weakness, all that pain, all that suffering will be gone. Elbow won't hurt anymore. My back won't hurt anymore. I won't cough. I, you know, it's going to be perfection. The weakness and pain, suffering, gone forever. And why? It's all to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.